What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Electric Factory Podcast. It is a Saturday. We made it to the weekend once again, and it is going to be another great weekend of football. We've got four great NFL divisional round matchups that we are going to preview all of them right here. And then we're going to go into uh, a couple other things in the sports world that uh, I think need to be talked about uh, at this time. So uh, without further ado, uh, let's hop right into it. I recently finished watching the new show on Paramount Plus, Tulsa King, starring Sylvester Stallone. Uh, Basically, the plot of the show is that he's a respected member of the mafia who ends up getting banished from the family to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And yet, throughout the show, he finds his guys, he finds his crew, and he starts to make it work. He makes money, he starts doing all his normal mafia things, and and he's very successful. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, this this really, you could say this is also, that's the story of Trevor Lawrence. He's always been a highly touted prospect. He was the number one prospect coming out of high school. He won a national championship, and he was the number one NFL draft prospect coming out of college. So he was successful, he was respected, all that good stuff. And then you could say that he got banished to Jacksonville. Jacksonville is a franchise that, let's be honest, they haven't had much success, sustained success, that is. They've only made the playoffs three times in the 21st century. And Lawrence starts out his tenure in Jacksonville pretty rough, similar to how Sylvester Stallone's character starts out pretty rough in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He gets stuck with Urban Meyer, and it's not looking good for for Trevor in Jacksonville. But then he finds his guys. He finds Doug Peterson, his college teammate, Travis Etienne. Christian Kirk became a 1,000-yard receiver this year. And they make it work, just like they do in the show. 9-8, and eight, they win the division, and now they've won a playoff game. And now that's where we're going to start off, really, here. Kansas City and Jacksonville. Kansas City is a juggernaut. They've played in four straight AFC Championship games and two of the last three Super Bowls. Mahomes has proved himself to be the best in the business time and time again. He's got an 8-3 and three career record in the playoffs. And he's just been, he's been a phenomenal, he's been just as good in the playoffs as he has in the regular season, which is very difficult to do. Um, and this Kansas City team is a team that really I don't see many holes. At the beginning of the year, you could have said running back, but Isaiah Pacheco and McKinnon have done a phenomenal job filling in that role that had a lot of question marks at the beginning of the season. They had... Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who they drafted in the first round, everyone thought maybe he can be an RB1, but no, these two guys have filled in phenomenally. They've done their job. Pacheco was almost a 1,000-yard back this season, despite not getting many touches in the beginning of the year, and McKinnon is a great weapon as a pass catcher out of the backfield. And then, of course, everyone knows they've got Travis Kelsey as well, who is probably the best weapon in the entire league, I think. He's unguardable. You can't put a linebacker on him because the linebacker is going to be too slow and you can't put a cornerback on him because the cornerback's generally going to be too small. So he's really a guy that there's no way to guard him. You can only hope to contain him, slow him down a little bit. But um, Kelsey, yeah, he's he's a stud. And then on the defensive side of the football, they've got Chris Jones, who's obviously the anchor of that defense. And they're just more of a well-oiled machine than they are a bunch of superstars out there. Um, I think that the sum of the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. That's the bottom line. Uh, Jacksonville is a team that cannot afford to fall behind like they did against the Chargers because Casey's playoff experience is going to make a comeback like that virtually impossible. I mean, a 27-0 comeback against any team is virtually impossible, but they pulled it off last week, but that's not going to happen again. Um, 
the way to beat Kansas City is definitely you're going to have to make Mahomes very uncomfortable as seen in the Super Bowl against Tampa Bay. Uh, you can't give him time to make anything happen because that's really where he makes his money outside the pocket. And in that Super Bowl, Tampa Bay was all over him. He never really had an opportunity to make something happen to create outside the pocket because he was getting swarmed all game. So that's what Jacksonville's going to have to do. Do they have the ability, the capability, the weapons to do that? I don't know. That remains to be seen, I would say, unlikely. Um, Jacksonville, they've had a great season. The future, definitely bright for them, but I just don't think they have the firepower to keep up with Kansas City this year. Um, Mahomes has never missed the AFC Championship game, and Trevor Lawrence has never lost a game in his life on a Saturday. So something has to give here, and I think it's going to be Lawrence's record on a Saturday. I've got Kansas City winning this game. 34-23, I think Jacksonville can keep it close for a little bit, and then Kansas City kind of pulls away and coasts the rest of the way. So that means that we will be taking Kansas City minus the 9.5 points to cover the spread, just barely. But uh, I think that'll be a great way to start off the the divisional round weekend, and we might even get some snow in that game, the forecast says, and who doesn't like snow football? Uh, the nightcap tonight, Saturday night's game is Giants and Eagles. Um, another very intriguing matchup in the division matchup, which, I mean, which is kind of ironic because a couple years ago it was called the NFC Least. You had horrible teams across the board, and now you've got three of them in the playoffs, two of them playing each other here. Um, the Eagles have been the front runner, I think, in the NFC for a majority of the season before probably getting passed up by San Francisco as of late. They've already beat the Giants twice this season, so on papers, I mean, it looks like the Eagles would need a pick, no? But I've been saying that the playoffs are not about records. It's about who's playing the best football right now, and I think the Giants have a ton of momentum coming off the win against the Vikings, especially Daniel Jones, their quarterback. That was a phenomenal performance that he had against the Vikings. We highlighted that in the previous episode, and I think that's big for his confidence because the Giants really didn't ask him to do much this year. He only had 15 touchdowns. He threw for 3,200 yards, so he had a good season by by uh, all measures, but they didn't really ask him to do that much, and I think him proving to himself that he could put up that kind of performance in the playoffs is going to be huge for his confidence, and it's going to be huge for the coaching staff's confidence in him to call plays that maybe they wouldn't call in the beginning of the season. And Jalen Hurts, I think he's got the absolute opposite of whatever momentum Daniel Jones might have. He's not played much football lately. He was hurt for a good stretch of the year, finally played that game against the Giants in Week 18. And when he did play that game, he didn't look great. 229 passing yards and interception against the Giants team that was resting a lot of starters. Jones didn't play that game on the offensive side. And then on defense, they also they rested a lot of guys because there was nothing for them to gain in that game. Hurts looked scared to run in that game, and I think he needs his legs to be effective. I think that's a very important part of this game. I think most people would say that, but he definitely is going to need to be able to run a little bit more than he did in that Week 18 game if the Eagles want a good chance to win this game. I mean, Hurts, he's definitely a good player, but he's he's not some generational arm talent. As I mean, there's a reason he was taken in the second round. He's not an Allen that can just sit in the pocket and sling the rock, a Burrow, a Mahomes type like that. I mean, we even saw him get pulled in the national championship in favor of Tua, who... Saban, I guess, deemed could could sling the rock a little bit better when they needed him to in the clutch situations. Uh, if the Giants can afford to just sit back and make Hurts throw, it's going to be a lot more difficult, I think, for the Eagles to move the ball because the Eagles' running back room, while 
Sanders had an okay season. It's not great. You're not really scared of one of those guys, Sanders or Boston Scott, really burning you. So I think that Hurts needs to be able to run the ball so that the Giants are kind of on their toes a little bit to the point where they can't just just call pass defense and force Hurts to beat them that way. Um, They need that second dimension of the run game to really maximize Hurts' potential. And then on the other side, the Giants have, like I said, with the the Eagles running back room not being very strong, they have the better running back in Saquon Barkley. And if Hurts is not 100% and Jones plays the way he did against Minnesota, I think that there's an argument to be made that the Giants could have the better quarterback in this game too. And when you have the better backfield altogether, it's going to be very tough to lose a game like that. Um, the wide receiver weapons have been a concern for New York, but they played well enough to beat the Vikings. So I think if Dable can generate a plan to get them open, they can win this game. They obviously show that they're capable of it. Isaiah Hodgins had a coming out party. So I think that the Eagles, they have solid DBs. They've got Darius Slay. But if Dable can come up with a good enough game plan to get these guys open for Jones to throw to, I think that the, the, the wide receivers are more than capable of winning this game. Um I think this game's going to be much closer than Vegas has it at. Um, it's going to come down to the wire. The Giants will definitely cover the plus eight, so that's what we're going to go with, Giants plus eight. Um, my final score prediction, I've got the Giants winning 24-23, but this game is definitely a coin toss. I think it could go either way. It's in Philly. Philly fans are crazy, so that's definitely in favor of the Eagles, but I think the momentum of the Giants right now, will barely carry to the, carry them to this win, 24-23, but wouldn't be surprised at all if the Eagles pulled this one out. I just expect a close game. Giants plus 8. Uh, the early game, the game that is probably most people are excited for on Sunday, Bills versus Bengals. The Bengals have won 9 in a row, and the Bills have won 8, so my mon- momentum theory is pretty much rendered moot in this case. Both teams have great momentum. Um, But at this point, I believe that Josh Allen has possibly become one of the most overrated players in the NFL. There's absolutely no way that the Bills should be five-and-a-half point favorites against this Cincinnati team the way that they played last week. Allen has been throwing interceptions left and right, and the competition that he's going up against is only going to get better as they advance further into these playoffs. So what does that tell you? Common sense would say he might throw even more interceptions. People are saying that uh, Bills Mafia, you know, it's going to be a tremendous home advantage for Buffalo, and that's going to give Cincy trouble. And I agree that the Bills have some of the best fans in the NFL, but I disagree on the fact that it's going to give Cincinnati much trouble. Burrow has proven time and time again that it has, it does not matter at all where he's playing. He's going to go out there, and he's going to be capable of winning the game. College, he went into Tuscaloosa, beat Alabama in an instant classic of a game. Then, in last year's playoffs, he went on the road, beat the number one seed in the AFC, the Tennessee Titans. And then he went into Arrowhead and beat Kansas City in the AFC Championship game. Um, Buffalo can definitely win this game. I'm not going to say that they can't. I just think that spread is way too big. Buffalo has stars. They've got stars all over the field. Their weapons are good. Diggs and Gabe Davis are very formidable wide receiver core along with Dawson Knox at tight end and Allen can run the ball which definitely gives a second dimension to this offense that I think a lot of people would be afraid of and they're strong in the secondary too Jordan Poyer and Tredavious White are two great defensive backs one at safety one at corner and I think that they can do the best they can to limit 
Cincinnati, but Cincinnati has got arguably the best offensive weapons in the NFL. Uh, when I think of it, it's shades of Pittsburgh's killer bees when they had Big Ben, Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, Joe Mixon, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, call them the killer Jays if you want. That's three phenomenal players, along with T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. That makes up a great wide receiver core. And then Hayden Hurst, out of not really nowhere, but he's been playing good football lately. And I think the Bill, the Bengals' offense is firing on all cylinders, and I think that they're going to give uh, the Bills a lot of problems, especially if Josh Allen continues to give them the field position that he did against Miami. Miami multiple times had a very short field because of the Allen turnovers. Uh, the Bengals made the Super Bowl last year without an offensive line, and now they have one. So I don't see why everyone's sleeping on Cincinnati. This is the defending AFC champion, yet for some reason no one seems to believe that they can they can beat Buffalo and Kansas City again when they it's all they've done is win in the last two years. If the Bills want to win this game, Allen just needs to not turn the ball over, which we've seen that he's capable of doing. I mean, he played a phenomenal game last year against Kansas City in the playoffs, and he got off to a fire start this year. He was on fire for the first couple of weeks. It looked like he was going to run away with the MVP, and Buffalo was going to run away with the Super Bowl. He has regressed heavily, so he needs to get back to his former form that he had towards the end of last season, beginning of this season. Based on the past 12 weeks, though, I have no reason to believe that he will do that because he hasn't corrected that mistake in 12 weeks, so why would it change now? I think Cincinnati absolutely covers the 5.5 in this game, and I think Cincinnati wins this game 31-24 to in Buffalo. Cincinnati will be going back to the AFC Championship. You can take it to the bank. And then the final game, Sunday night, this is probably the game that I am most excited for. Cowboys 49ers, a rivalry renewed. They played each other in three straight NFC Championship games in the 90s. And Kyle Shanahan's dad, Mike Shanahan, was the OC for those 49ers teams. So he grew up in this rivalry. He knows the stakes of this game. And they even played each other in the playoffs last year. So this is nothing new for either of these guys, either of these teams. Um, I personally think this is the biggest game of Dak Prescott's career. Prime time in a rivalry game, coming off probably the most impressive performance of his career, five touchdowns in a playoff game. Expectations are high for Dallas right now. And, I mean, they're always high for Dallas. They're always too high for Dallas. But this is a game where Dak, this is a put-up-or-shut-up game for Dak to see if he's really capable of leading a team to the Super Bowl or if he's going to be one of those guys that's more of a Kirk Cousins. Uh, he proved it to me last week. I didn't think he could do it. No turnovers, albeit that was against an 8-9 and nine team. Now he's going against arguably the best defense in the NFL. I would say they are the best defense in the NFL. And if you look at this matchup on paper, I think San Francisco nearly sweeps it. Offensive weapons-wise, Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Elijah Mitchell. Look at Dallas, CeeDee Lamb, Pollard, Zeke, and then... Everyone else, I mean, T.Y. Hilton, Dalton Schultz, those guys don't really get me that excited. I'm going to give that point to San Francisco. Defense, Bosa, Warner, Armstead, just to name a few. And then for Dallas, Parsons, and who else, really? I mean, you've got Demarcus Lawrence, who is pretty good. You've got Trayvon Diggs, who I think is incredibly overrated. He is not a lockdown corner by any any stretch of the imagination. And then you got Leighton Vander Esch, who was good three years ago, four years ago now. I can't even remember the last time Leighton Vander Esch was really that good. But yet, Cowboys fans still treat him like he uh, he is his rookie yourself. So 
once again, point to the 49ers. Special teams. Who would have thought special teams would be a huge question mark in this game and a huge talking point in this game? Brett Maher goes out and misses four extra points in the in the Tampa Bay game. I mean, he's been a good kicker all year for them. I, I don't know what happened there. They Obviously, they had to sign another kicker to the practice squad. They did. We'll see what ends up happening, who they end up going with. But I think that's a huge question mark for Dallas because now your options are either a guy that just missed four extra points in a playoff game or a guy that is really going to be coming off the practice squad and hasn't really kicked much all year. So San Francisco's got Robbie Gould, the ever-reliable kicker. He's been in the league for what feels like forever. Once again, that point's going to go to San Francisco, shockingly, because who would have seen that meltdown coming on Monday Night Football? But it happened, and I, I wouldn't tr- I wouldn't trust my kickers if I were Dallas, either of them, really. And then the quarterback department, based on the sample size that we have from Brock Purdy, he's playing better football than Dak right now. That's just the bottom line. I mean, Dak had one good game. Purdy's won, what, nine in a row? So he's had nine good games to Dak's one? Um, we'll see how he handles pressure from Parsons. That's probably the best defensive player that he's played against thus far in his NFL career. But personally, I think he's going to be fine. He practiced against the likes of Bosa and others all year long as the scout team quarterback. So this is nothing he hasn't seen before. I think it's going to be a close game nonetheless. Based on the paper, the 49ers should win this game. But something about 49ers-Cowboys, it's always going to be a great game. We saw it in the playoffs last year. Uh, 49ers edged out Dallas in another instant classic game. So this game is going to be close just because it has to be. It has to be. It's this game. It just got, it has to be a close game. I think San Francisco wins this game 35-27. So that means that San Francisco minus four is going to be the pick against the spread. But I think this is going to be an instant classic of a game. Dak's going to turn the ball over, I think at least once. And that might be the difference in the game. I'm hesitant to say that it's going to be an instant classic because I said Cowboys-Bucks would be an instant classic last week. But this one, when you've got those two teams matching up against each other in the playoffs, it never fails to be a great game. So be ready for that one. San Francisco wins 35-27. They will play for the NFC Championship. Um, That's about all we've got for the NFL. Those previews, Um, just to run it down one more time per usual, uh, if you guys want to want to bet with me again, we went three and three last week, four and two the week before, so that gives us a record of seven and five. So we do have a winning record. Uh, I'm going to take Kansas City minus nine and a half. I'm going to take the Giants to cover the eight against the Eagles. I'm going to take the Bengals to cover the five and a half and win the game outright against the Bills. And I'm going to take Sam Fran to barely cover the minus four in a great game against the Cowboys. Uh, Shifting over to the college football world, there was a little bit of news. Deion Sanders back in the news again for the Colorado Buffaloes. Five-star cornerback Cornmani McClain flipped his commitment from Miami to Colorado. That gives Deion Sanders the number one cornerback from both the 2022 and 2023 class after he got Travis Hunter to commit to Jackson State and then follow him to Colorado. Um... A lot of people that I talk to don't like Dion. I love him personally. He's authentic. He calls it like it is. And he obviously knows football. He's arguably the best overall football player of all time. And I think in due time, he's going to turn Colorado into a powerhouse. 
But what should we expect from Colorado in year one? They've got a very tough schedule. They've got to go to TCU in week one, to Oregon, USC at home, at UCLA in the Rose Bowl. Oregon State's coming to Colorado, an Oregon State team that just won 10 games last year. And then they have to go to the defending Pac-12 champions, Utah, the two-time defending Pac-12 champions. So that is six top 25 teams that they're going to have to face this year. And this is a team that's coming from really rock bottom. They went 1-11 and last year. It does not get much worse than that, especially in the Power 5. So I wouldn't expect them to compete for a national championship, and I probably wouldn't even expect them to compete for a Pac-12 championship. But I think if you get the quarterback right, especially in college football, you can win a lot of games. And I think Shador, from everything that I've read, all the scouts I've listened to, from the games, albeit limited games that I've watched from him at Jackson State, I think he's legit. I think he's a good quarterback. I think he's an NFL prospect at least. I think he's going to do just fine making the jump to Division One FBS football. And they, they obviously have the talent in, in the secondary. They've got the top two cornerbacks in uh, Hunter and McLean. And Hunter can also play wide receiver, so he's going to play both ways this year. Um, and they had a great performance in the transfer portal. USC really gave us the blueprint last year for how to win in the first year of a new head coach. USC brought in a bunch of offensive studs, and they really just lit it up in the Pac-12. The defense was pretty atrocious, which is why they didn't win the Pac-12, but USC won 11 games in year one of Lincoln Riley. So can Colorado do the same? I would tend to say probably not because they're starting off from a little bit of a worse point than USC was. But I think Colorado is definitely going to be a competitive team in all those games this year. Um for me, I think a successful season for Prime, Coach Prime, in his first year would be 7-5. and five. That means you win all the other games on your schedule, and then you knock off just one of those top 25 teams. And I would think that they could probably do even more than that with the talent that it looks like Dion's going to bring in. He said it himself. He's bringing his Louie, so look out for the buffs. You never know in college football. TCU went 5-7, and seven, made the national championship game, so... Can Colorado have a turnaround like that? Maybe not make it to the national championship, but could they win 10 games, 11 games even? I wouldn't be surprised. The Pac-12, it's always a wild card. It's wild west out there, so I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Coach Prime makes some magic happen. And then the final thing I want to touch on is the NHL. Um, Not anything really specific to what's going on in the NHL right now, but I want to talk about the NHL as a whole. I think the NHL is great to watch. I love watching it, and I think it should be more popular. There's no reason that it shouldn't be more popular in America. It's constant action. The puck's always in play. It's it's what people like. That's this kind of thing that people like. That's what baseball gets a lot of hate for is that there's not enough action. Hockey is the exact opposite. There's constant action, and yet it's even less popular than baseball, and it's less popular than the, even the NBA for some reason. And I think the biggest problem plaguing the NHL is accessibility. Two years ago, the NHL decided to give the the TV rights deal to ESPN and TNT versus renewing it with their previous partner, NBC. I think NBC was doing a great job. There was pretty much a game on at least four nights a week, plus a day-night combo on the weekends, either Saturday or Sunday. Uh, they were actually making inroads, in my opinion, and more people were beginning to watch the NHL, at least what I talked to from kids in my high school, from people on social media, from what I saw, the NHL was actually starting to gain a little bit of momentum. And now I think all that momentum has been lost. 
There's hardly any nationally televised games anymore. Scroll through your TV guide one weeknight. Try to find an NHL game. I promise you, you probably won't be able to do it. Everything's on ESPN+. Plus. How do you expect to grow your game, grow your brand, when you make it impossible to watch these games? Who wants to pay extra to watch the NHL if they're not an NHL fan to begin with? You need to make the NHL more accessible to the fans that are not quite familiar with it. Like I said, who's going to pay to watch the NHL when they're not an NHL fan already? How do you expect to grow your viewership? Another problem is that ESPN never talks about the NHL. They have the rights to it, but they never talk about it on any of their other programs. I'm a guy that has ESPN on pretty frequently throughout the day, and I never hear them talk about the NHL on any of their shows. I mean, around the horn, part of the interruption, Sports Center. I mean, the only time the NHL really ever gets mentioned is if someone makes a ridiculous goal and it's in the top 10. So that's a problem for a network that has the rights to the NHL and yet, it doesn't seem they really care about the NHL. Versus NBC, they had people who actually cared about the NHL. They had former players all over the desk. Versus ESPN employs one former player right now, Barry Melrose, who's been their guy for the last 25 years. NBC had guys that cared about the NHL, knew hockey, talked about hockey 24-7 pretty much. And now there's none of that. You don't get any of that. You don't get any of that in-depth analysis with this ESPN deal. I think if the NHL wants to to grow their audience the way they say they do, the way they, they probably should if they're going to maximize their profitability, they need to get the rights back to NBC or they need to give it to a network that cares about the NHL because ESPN is squandering an opportunity right now with the way that they are choosing to cover the NHL. It's All all it is for ESPN is a money grab. They're just trying to buy as, get people to buy as many subscriptions as they can to ESPN+, and that's not how you grow the NHL. The rights should not be with a company that does not value those rights, They, which they clearly don't. I think that's all I got for this episode. Thank you guys for listening, as always. Um, enjoy the football this weekend because it's winding down. You know, We've only got two more weeks left after this one, so enjoy it. Watch those games, especially 49ers-Cowboys. That's going to be the one to watch, so you guys tune into that one. Um, as always, follow all the social media electric factory pod on instagram electric pod on twitter the tiktok we've been posting a lot of stuff over there clips from the show send those to your friends like rate review comment on this send the show to your friends all that good stuff um we're going to continue to grow here we're going to continue to learn and we're going to continue to put out great episodes for you guys to listen to so thanks for listening as always and we will see you in the next one